Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition of the For the Win podcast. I'm Hemel Javeri. Today we're going to be talking about Kobe Bryant's legacy and tragic passing. My two special guests on the podcast today are Alex Kennedy, NBA writer for Hoops Hype, and Mark Medina, NBA writer for USA Today, who has 10 years of experience in the business. Uh, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. All right, guys. So the first thing that I'd like to talk about is uh, uh, Kobe's legacy. And I know that both of you actually have uh, had a chance to talk to Kobe one-on-one during your career. Alex, I believe he was on the Hoops Hype podcast. Mark, you just recently had a sit-down interview with him uh, where he talked a lot about his future. So Mark, why don't we start with you? Can you tell me a little bit about the interview that you guys had and the impression that you kind of walked away with? Yeah, it's really surreal uh, because it just happened 11 days ago. Um, and, you know, I covered Kobe extensively during two separate stints as a Lakers blogger with the LA Times and a Lakers beat writer with the LA Daily News um, from 2010 to the end of his career in 2016. Um, so, obviously, I, I knew him fairly well on a day-to-day basis there, but um, this was a pretty lengthy sit-down for 45 minutes where, you know, we got into how he's pivoted from his NBA career to all these different projects he's doing with overseeing um, a storytelling production studio and overseeing a training facility and doing a lot of different projects with a podcast and ESPN Plus detail. And what was really surreal here was two things. One, he was incredibly at peace everything he accomplished in his NBA career, rightfully so. I mean, he won five championships and, you know, was, uh, you know, high on the all-time scoring list, had two finals MVPs, two gold medals, a regular season MVP. But he was always someone that always wanted more and felt that any season that didn't end in a championship parade was kind of a waste of his time. So I I think uh, that was kind of a confirmation of what I saw towards the latter part of his career where he was more you know, willing to bask in what he accomplished and spread about what he didn't. But uh, the interesting other subplot was what he was talking about with his post-basketball life and all his ambitions. And he had told me that, you know, the Emmy that he won and the Oscar that he won, uh, it, it meant more to him than all the basketball accomplishments because this isn't something that anyone really expected of him. And so with that, it's his fourth year, basically, since retirement. As much as he's made a lot of headway with all these different projects, he made it very clear that it seemed like he's just getting started. Like He had, he shared ambition about wanting to publish even more books, you know, turn some of these books into theatrical plays and, and TV shows and movies. And so, you know, when we're talking 11 days later about Kobe Bryant's passing, it, it's very sad. Um, I mean, it adds even more to the tragic nature of all this, that as much as Kobe accomplished a lot in his 41 years here, um, there was a whole other life to live, not just with how many years he had, but what he wanted to do on this earth. So it's, you know, when I was reflecting on that uh, interview, I mean, I wrote a call about it. Uh, when I talked with him, it was very kind of nostalgic and and we even exchanged messages later on, and he was mentioning, hey, it was good to see a familiar 
space from the good old days. And, and that stuff kind of left me kind of nostalgic and thinking about our time, cover, you know, working together. And then all of a sudden, two days later, it really left me devastated because it was so soon. Yeah, it is just overall an incredibly, incredibly tragic story in, in many ways that this is uh, part of the shock of all of this is that Kobe was right in the middle of his second act, right? Like you could just tell that there were huge things to come for him that were not related to basketball. Um, Alex, let me shift over to you for a second to, and tell me about your experience talking to him on, on the Hoops Hype podcast. Yeah, you know, I, I was, uh, first of all, right when this happened and news broke, I thought about Mark and his interview because I had just been watching it and sharing videos from it and he did a fantastic job, you know, in that interview and it, it was days ago. So, I mean, I was just shocked and thinking about, you know, what, what he was going through. Uh, and yeah, basically, you know, when I was, uh, when I was 17 years old, I actually had an opportunity to interview Kobe Bryant one on one. Uh, it was one of the first, you know, big one-on-one -on -one interviews that I'd gotten. Uh, his publicist, I'd been bothering her for uh, a few months, and uh, she was able to get me some time with him when they came to Orlando. So, and I just remember he was so gracious and so friendly to uh, uh, a nervous teenager that really couldn't do anything to help him in terms of his uh, career. Uh, he was at the top of the NBA at that point. Didn't need any kind of press at all, but uh, you know, he made time for me whenever he was doing a. Uh, it was an after-school All-Stars event. And then seeing him interact with the children, too. I mean, he was so uh, so great with the kids, and they, they just loved him. So it was cool to see that side of Kobe, because uh, we all think of him as the on-court assassin. Uh, and then years later, in 2018, about a year and a half ago, he randomly followed me on Twitter, and we started communicating over DM and talking about different projects we were working on. And then uh, he agreed to call on the Hoopsite podcast. And like Mark was saying, I mean, he was just so at peace with everything in his NBA career. And then just, you know, I think a lot of people want him to get back into basketball and retirement. They want to see him work with the Lakers or work with the league office or do something related to basketball. There were a lot of people talking about him at that time, possibly playing the big three or coaching or becoming a GM because Rob Palenka is obviously in the Lakers front office. So, you know, but at, at that point, he even said, I'm never going to do anything basketball related again. I don't want to be an owner even. He was really adamant about that because he was so happy with storytelling and, you know, doing these books and TV shows and movies. You know, that was his new passion. And, you know, as we've seen with Kobe and everything in his life, he threw himself into that entirely and was having so much success doing that. Uh, I think he's, uh, it was it was an amazing interview. And there were a lot of nostalgic moments like Mark was talking about, you know, we talked about, he, he was saying that he would take that, 2000-2001 Lakers team over any team in NBA history. Talked about, you know, his relationship with Shaq and how they were able to mend things. Uh, just different what-ifs throughout his career. Like, what if he actually had left the Lakers and joined the Chicago Bulls? How does that affect his legacy and change things? It was, uh, it was a really interesting conversation. And then we were able to talk about, you know, his different off-court endeavors at that time, like uh, Detail, which was the ESPN Plus show, and different things that he was working on. He was just so excited to be able to continue in the second chapter in his life and move away from basketball and continue to have the kind of success. I mean, it's it's insane that he had as much success as he did in just a few years away from basketball. You know, he was still relatively new in this new medium and this new career, but he was so successful. So it, it was a, it was an amazing conversation. And just at the time, I never thought in a million years that it would be the last actual conversation we had. You know, we had exchanged text messages pretty recently, but uh, in terms of actual conversation, uh, I never thought that'd be the last time we spoke. Yeah, it it is 
I mean, mind boggling, right? He was out being a dad. Um, I think you both have kind of brought up that he was shifting away from basketball, but it actually seemed like maybe he was shifting away from the NBA, but he seemed really involved in daughter Gianna's budding WNBA career, right? It's He was a huge advocate for uh, the WNBA and women's basketball. So to me, it kind of felt like if he was going to be pursuing basketball further, it would be as a more integral part of the WNBA. Uh, I don't know, Mark, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know if he would have been involved directly with the league, but it's interesting you brought up John. I mean, obviously that's another part of the tragedy here mm-hmm. that she was uh, on the, the helicopter that crashed. She was only 13 years old. Uh, but Gianna is really the connection that brought Kobe back to basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after retired in 2016, you know, Kobe for sure still had a presence around the NBA because he was so popular. Players would reach out to him and, and text him or talk to him for feedback or just whatever. And he was always open with those conversations. But he was not a guy that was just sitting on his couch watching league pass. Like he felt like that was just, that would just be a waste of his time. And he didn't feel like he would really get any fulfillment in just watching the NBA. I mean, he was obviously following it and very well knows what's going on, but his day to day was not that at all. He wanted to, you know, shift everything into the storytelling projects and getting this company off the ground and, and spending time with the family. But, you know, around two years ago, uh, Giano was starting to show more more and more interest in basketball, so they started watching League Pass together. That's what got Kobe back into, you know, kind of making that part of his daily routine. And then that also influenced uh, the fact that he showed up to two Laker games this year because before that, you know, he, he was only at one other Laker game, and that was because they were retiring both of his jerseys. But other than that, he didn't want to be around the arena because I think it was twofold. One, as I mentioned before, he, he felt like he would have a better use of his time doing these other things. But two, he, he just didn't want to cast a shadow on the where, you know, all the attention is him being at the game and, you know, what his reactions are, you know, to whatever. And, and so he really wanted to give that space. But Gianna was the one that, that brought him back. And, you know, that's, that's the other kind of what if, uh, you know, if the Lakers wind up getting on this championship run as, as they might be, like, I couldn't help but wonder uh, Kobe and Gianna would have been sitting there courtside during the finals cheering them on. Yeah, there was that uh, video that went viral just a couple of days before the crash, right, where he is, where she's sitting courtside with him and he's explaining in detail what's happening. And she kind of has this like wonderful teenage daughter listening patiently to her dad, except her dad is Kobe Bryant. Uh, um, it's, it's in hindsight, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it's just a really lovely, tragic little thing. At the time, everybody thought it was really funny, um, but it's, it's just heartbreaking now. Um, Alex, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think he just became, after having four daughters, I think he just really wanted to support female athletes. As you mentioned, he was a big supporter of the WNBA. We know that he was a big supporter of the uh, U.S. uh, women's national team Mm -hmm. and communicated with a number of those players. I think he just wanted to empower them. And, uh, you know, he loves to tell a story about how, Whenever people would come up to him and say, oh, you need to have a son so that someone can carry on your legacy. And, you know, uh, Gigi would step in and say, no, I got this, you know, and he would push her. And, and 
uh, they really bonded over basketball. And, you know, again, like Mark said, that was the reason he got back into basketball. You know, really the, the main, his main attachment to basketball at that point was not only watching with her, but, uh, you know, as you know, going to Mamba Sports Academy and coaching her and her teammates. And, you know, he, uh, I definitely think, you know, they were, they were obviously very close. And I think that, I think he was very proud to see her trying to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Um, so it has only been a couple of days and we are all still trying to wrap our heads around what happened. I feel like thoughts on Kobe's legacy will constantly be shifting. Um, but I'd like to talk about that now with both of you. And before we get into it, I do want to bring up the sexual assault allegation it was something that a lot of people in the media have have written about. It was a big story while it was happening. I don't think it's unfair to bring it up. I think it's a part of his legacy. I think part of the frustration for fans and for outside observers of this is that it felt like Kobe never fully uh fully address the issue. I know our own Nancy Armour, a columnist at USA Today, she wrote a great column saying that this is just something that is a part of his complicated legacy. So I, I feel like there's a lot of different parts to Kobe's legacy that people will be grappling with and wrestling with. Um, but Mark, let me start with you and see if you can try to sum up in such a short time what his legacy is. Yeah, well, I think in regards to the Colorado situation, obviously it's, it's a very serious issue and it's something that, that can't be taken lightly. And I, I think, you know, so part of the, the complicated parts of trying to sift through that lies in a number of different areas. One, you know, the, uh, the, the accuser wound up refusing to testify. And so there was never that moment of court of, you know, what the jury's outcome was going to be. You know, they agreed to a non disclosure agreement and frankly you know i can't help but wonder what would have been the reaction had this happened now as opposed to in 2003 where you know there's a lot more going on with social media the me too movement so certainly passage of time mm -hmm. has changed those things I, I know i can't speak from the journalistic realm of what it was like day to day because that was well before my time covering the lakers but you know i do know that when the moment happened there was a statement that, that Kobe made um, and essentially boiled down to, you know, his uh, adamant belief that everything that they did mm -hmm. uh, at that in Eagle, Colorado was consensual. But he also admitted and realized after the fact, uh, according to his words, that uh, he fully understood that apparently the accuser did not feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And in that statement itself, um, it never read of questioning the person's motives or, or lying or anything like that. But I think <clears throat> the <clears throat> troubling part with that is <clears throat> because of the non-disclosure agreement, no one has ever addressed that since then. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> it is a, it is a, a very sad chapter, obviously for all involved and, it's something that is always going to be part of a footnote, but I think because of the fact that it happened 17 years ago and there was so much that happened in Kobe's life on the court since then, and it was pre-social media area, uh, I think that kind of contributed to maybe not that incident not being as much of a, uh, of a focus. Mm -hmm. What about in terms of his NBA legacy? And uh, Alex, let me kick that to you for a second to... 
Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think he definitely goes down as one of the greatest players of all time. I think he goes down as arguably the hardest working player of all time. That was something that we all know. There's tons of stories about his legendary workouts and practices, uh, you know, obviously working out at all hours of the day and night. Um, I, I think, obviously, there was a I'm glad that he had the celebration during his retirement tour where you know he got to go to every single city and have that kind of you know be showered with love and adoration and uh I do think you know sometimes when legends pass away, we don't celebrate them until it's too late, so I think he knew where he how he was perceived you know he was viewed as one of the all time greats um obviously fourth all time and in, in points five championships uh and I do think it's fair to you know talk about his complicated history. I had Mo Evans, who was a teammate of Kobe's and the Lakers, uh, on the Hoopsite podcast last night. And, you know, he, he talked about it and said he had flaws. He was a complicated person. He, was, he wasn't perfect. And just because he passed away, I don't think we need to try to reframe him as someone that's perfect. But we can celebrate certain parts of his life and learn from others and just kind of look at him as a complicated figure. And I think, you know, even Mo talked about how he was very isolated and away from teammates at times. And, you know, sometimes that was his doing, and sometimes that was he's Kobe Bryant in Los Angeles, and you can't go out to a mall mm-hmm. because you're going to get swarmed by fans. So it was really interesting to kind of hear Mo. You know, he's obviously grappling with this as well and trying to process it still. But to uh, it was interesting to hear his uh, you know thoughts as a, a former teammate of Kobe's, played with him for a year and a half. He was uh, you know his Kobe's backups. So we guarded him every practice, and they had an interesting bond. Uh, but yeah, I mean even. Even Mo said he's a complicated person, and just because he's passed away doesn't mean we need to rewrite his history for him. I don't think Kobe would want that either. Yeah, I think those are all really great points, is that it would actually make him less than to try to, you know, I use the term whitewashing, which is what we've all been using about this, uh, try to disassemble those different parts of his life into something that it wasn't. Mark, um, can you talk a little bit about... uh, what you think Kobe meant to younger NBA players. We saw a lot of footage over the last couple of days of, you know, players kind of breaking down, people like Trey Young talking about what he meant to them. Uh, Kyrie Irving actually left the Brooklyn Nets arena when he heard what happened, was unable to play because he was so emotional about it. Uh, what do you think he meant to younger players? Uh, I think he meant everything. I mean, I think that he is the, this current young generation's version of Michael Jordan. And it's, and it's very ironic because when Kobe entered the league, he was a loner, and I think part of it had to do with the fact that he was, he came out so young out of high school, and I think in some respects, you know, he he wasn't always the best at socializing, but I think also the veterans on the team kind of felt threatened by him, and so I think because the fact that he wasn't one to go out and he, he'd rather study film, he was kind of a loner, and then you know, when he was uh, going through frustrating years with the Lakers, I think that there was kind of a push-pull that Kobe was weighing of, you know, to what extent should they be taking responsibility for themselves? Like, I should be setting the example and driving a hard bargain. But with these young guys, uh, especially toward the later end of his career, he would really embrace helping out, uh, helping them out any way they can with uh, – you know, breaking down film, giving feedback. And look, Kobe didn't give them, you know, these warm compliments to make them feel better. He, I mean, he gave them direct and honest feedback, but often these players felt like it was exactly what they needed to hear. And because it's coming from Kobe Bryant's mouth, uh, there's a lot more credibility. So 
I think, you know, when we're talking about legacy and where do you rank Kobe, you know, that, that is a very difficult question to say. Um, I mean, he's a sure first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's going to be seen among those NBA greats. But, like, you know, where you rank him compared to, Co- to LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson, that's always going to be a never-ending barbershop debate. But I, I, what I don't think is a debate of is what he means to this youngest generation. And, and I think that he is basically the face of that because of uh, not only his skill set, but the work ethic he, he modeled himself after. And I think the fact that eventually Kobe owned all the flaws about him as a person. I mean, the, the legal situation is its entire entity, and that's obviously very serious. But when we're talking about Kobe's flaws, on the court and his leadership style and, you know, how much he shot and, and all that. I think in Kobe's mind, he embraced, you know, all the positive and negative attributes about him. And I think in his mind, you know, there could be moments here or there or games here or there that he wished, you know, he would have, you know, had a different approach. But I think uh, in his view and, you know, from my point of view, just covering most of those years, I, I think the good mostly outweighed the bad and when there were times of you know is Kobe shooting the ball too much or should he be you know more nurturing to his younger teammates a lot of times seen up close I totally understood and agreed with why Kobe acted the way that he did. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. You kind of had a unique perspective. This is a good segue to my next question, actually. Mark, what do you think he meant to the city of L.A.? I, he was with the Lakers his entire career. He is kind of synonymous with the team and with the city. Yeah, I mean, he is the entire fabric of L.A. And, and you know, that's, that wasn't surprising before this week, but I, I think it really just brought it home where, you know, I, I went to a church vigil just outside of the crash site in Calabasas uh, on Sunday evening, and the people in the congregation, uh, it was people of all walks of life. I mean, L.A. is a very diverse city to, be, to begin with, but I think with Kobe, because of who he was, he appealed to every sort of demographic in L.A., right, mm-hmm. where because he's a, the superstar and he had all these highlight reels, he appealed to the, kind of the, the elite Hollywood glitz and glamour crowd, right? But because of his work ethic and his maniacal nature and the fact that he wore everything on his sleeve, that also appealed to the blue-collar people in L.A. that's made up of, you know, really the entire world where there's a lot of, you know, black people who live here, uh, Latinos, uh, Asians, all those demographics really found Kobe Bryant to be appealing and also helped that Kobe himself was a renaissance man. I mean, he grew up in Italy. He wound up becoming fluent uh, in Italian, Spanish, English, and probably even more languages. And he made it a point, you know, to expand his business portfolio, but also to, you know, broaden his cultural education that, you know, he would make trips to China uh, a lot of times each offseason. And so, you know, when we're talking about L.A., I think it's very appropriate that that's where he spent his career because maybe, you know, you always wonder what would have been like if he played for Philadelphia. But the reality is he didn't spend all of his childhood there. 
a lot of it was in Italy, mm-hmm. and L.A. seemed to really kind of capture Kobe well in a nutshell because on one hand it is it is very glitzy and glamorous, but there is, I think, an underrated blue-collar work ethic around here because, you know, whether it's in Hollywood or, you know, in the media company, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes people uh, that, that support this industry. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. Uh, um, Alex, let me shift to you for a second um, as we start to kind of wrap this up. You both have been very patient with me, which I appreciate. Uh, as we kind of try to move on from Kobe's death, like there's still half of a season to get through. Memorials and tributes are going to keep coming up. We have the All-Star Game coming up as well. You know Kobe is going to loom really large over it. Uh, Alex, how do you think this shifts uh, just not just the NBA landscape for this season, but kind of moving forward? If it does. Yeah, you know, yeah, it just seems, it's interesting. You know, I've been talking about this with my wife and different friends of mine recently. Just basketball seems so so inconsequential right now. And I think that's what's very difficult for NBA fans. You know, there's obviously games on. And I know the the league postponed the Clippers-Lakers game, which was the right thing to do because those players and fans, I don't think they weren't ready for that yet. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be very hard for everyone to move on, I think. But, you know, I I do think that we're going to get to the point where, we want to see these players, you know, go out and play for Kobe and all the different tributes we're going to see. We already saw, you know, uh, Trey Young and Luka Doncic and different guys kind of, you know, step up and, and, and try to go out there and, and, you know, play for Kobe. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be difficult. Uh, you know, it, there's a lot of conversation right now about what should happen. Should they change the logo? Should they, you know, do these different things? And I, I am curious to see what the NBA does when it comes to honoring Kobe. Uh, we know the Dallas Mavericks talked about how they're going to retire his number, uh, and no player is going to wear that again. I would be surprised if other franchises follow suit. Um, but just in terms of, I'm not sure when things are going to get back to normal. You know, a few days ago, it seemed like the the biggest stories in the NBA were Zion Williamson and mm-hmm. you know the trade deadline coming up. But now I just can't imagine shifting back to those things so quickly. Uh, it just seems like it doesn't matter at this point. It really put things in perspective. So uh, I am curious to see, you know, because the whole world, as Mark mentioned, he did have that impact on the whole world, is mourning right now and is in shock, I think. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things progress. Uh, I don't really have a, a great answer in terms of when this is going to get normal again, but uh, I do think the NBA, they typically do a great job when it comes to honoring legends. So I, I'm sure All-Star Weekend is going to be all about Kobe. And, and the rest of the season, you know, as it should, will be a great tribute to Kobe. And, you know, anyone that knows Kobe would know that he would want us to all get right back to work. Yeah, no, that seems like the prevailing theme is that he was a guy that sacrificed everything for for the game and uh, would want people to keep playing. Uh, I'm going to actually wrap this up, but ask you guys very quickly if you have a favorite Kobe memory. Mark, maybe let's start with you. Yeah, I would say too. I mean, from... You know, the thing is, I'm going to take away, it's more from an individual perspective of what it was like covering him. I enjoyed the give and take and, you know, when he would get on here for asking a question he didn't like or, you know, really respecting you for questions you do what he thought were well-informed. I mean, the, the thing is, he was very inquisitive, so he was very well aware of how our business operated. Even after, you know, this interview I did with him 11 days ago, he was... uh you know, picking my brain of what my new role is and kind of asking all these questions of, you know, what's the difference of similarities, what's the new environment like, all that stuff. Uh, but I, I think on the court, uh, you know, this isn't the best moment for him. It was very tragic, but I thought it, it gave a window into how Kobe operates. I can't 
get over his Achilles injury that he had mm-hmm. that he had in the, at the end of the 2012-13 season. It obviously defined uh, the last few years of his career as he was successful in getting back from those injuries, but not so successful of you know staying healthy and, and replicating the kind of game that he was used to playing. But in that moment, I still can't get over. He stands up, makes two free throws on one torn Achilles, and walks back on his own accord. And I've talked with longtime Lakers trainer Gary Vitti about this over the years. He thinks that that is his toughest moment ever that he ever showed. Um, And that's saying a lot because Gary treated him with all the injuries he ever had. And then, you know, when I started covering the Warriors the last few years, they were the team that that played against Kobe when, when he tore the Achilles. And, you know, years after the fact, I've talked with Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. At the time, they didn't even know he tore his Achilles. They thought he just took an awkward fall and then, you know, stood up, knocked free throws down, and they just took him out of the game because they were just being cautious with him. It wasn't until well after the game ended that they found out that Kobe tore his Achilles. So it was kind of one of those things for them was surreal because what, when they witnessed it happening, they didn't think much of it. But then after the fact, it, it kind of left them in shock and, and amazement that this is one of Many amazing feats that Kobe was able to do. Yeah, that's a great one. Alex, what about you? I was always so interested in the little weird things that Kobe would do to try to improve his game and get an edge on the court, like you know, studying great white sharks and cheetahs or learning Bruce Lee's uh, style of martial arts. Uh, there were so many taking tap dancing lessons. I mean, he did so many things to try to improve his game. When he was on the podcast, actually, I asked him if there were any other examples of that where he kind of did something that was unorthodox in order to try to improve his game. And he talked about how he changed his whole leadership approach with teammates because he got to meet John Williams, uh, the uh, conductive, you know, composer, mm-hmm. Oscar-winning composer. And he, he watched the way that he conducted his orchestra and then went back to training camp and changed the way that he led his teammates and worked with his teammates. So I find that stuff so interesting. I think all that stuff is really interesting, you know, in kind of building up the man, Mr. Legend, and Ms. Kobe Bryant, just because not only is his work ethic, but the crazy things that he would do and the lengths that he would go to improve. So those were all the things that fascinated me. And again, I think it just adds to, you know, the way we view Kobe. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think both of those are great little tidbits to share with our listeners. Uh, again, this is a really devastating story, something that we're all going to be talking about for the rest of the NBA season and, and obviously longer than that because this impact is not going to fade anytime soon. Um, I want to thank you guys both for taking the time to come on. Alex, real quick, let me know where people can find you on social media. Uh, yes, you can follow me at uh, Alex Kennedy NBA, and you can find the Hoopsite podcast uh, anywhere podcasts are found. And Mark, what about you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter, Mark G underscore Medina, Instagram, Medina Syracuse, and uh, yeah, feel free to go to USA, usatoday.com to uh, check out all the NBA coverage. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk to us again. Alex Kennedy with Hoops Hype and Mark Medina, NBA writer for USA Today. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>